0: It's good to be back with y'all today, and appreciate everyone that came out on such a rainy, gray winter day. Um, you can turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 Thessalonians. We're going to be continuing to look in the book of 1 Thessalonians every time that I come, and we're going to be looking at verses 13 of chapter 2 through chapter 3, verses verse 5. Uh, and as you're turning there, I have a question that I want you to reflect on. A question that I'd love for you to consider now, but maybe even later today. Share your answer with somebody. And the question is this. If you had to get a tattoo, what would it be? If you had to get a tattoo, what would would it be? I had a, uh, the campus minister that came before me at NC State and a friend of mine had a tattoo. Uh, And he he told me that whenever a student would ask them about getting a tattoo and say, well, you've got one, Um, what should I think about? Should I get one? And he said, here's something important to remember. A tattoo is forever. A tattoo is for the rest of your life. So choose it carefully. And this is a part of what you have to think about when you have a tattoo, right? Because you're like marking yourself forever for something. Which is why I was surprised the other day when I was walking in Umstead Uh, It's a state park that you may be familiar with right near the the airport. And we love to go as a family and walk in Umstead. And I was walking, and the guy in front of me had this big tattoo on the back of his neck. It was a tattoo of the insignia for Jeeps. And I thought, wow, he loves his car. He loves Jeeps. Now, I love my car. I have a great car. I enjoy it. But I've never committed enough to it that I want to tattoo it. I've never walked into a tattoo parlor and said, jab me continually with a needle filled with ink until I'm permanently marked by my love for my car. But in a sense, that's what you do with a tattoo, right? You're you're embracing some level of suffering so that you can be marked forever by something that you love deeply. As we look at this passage and as we hear Paul talk about suffering, I want you to think about it in that kind of mentality. That what we do in suffering is in some sense we are embracing the marks of something that we love. We're embracing the marks of something that we love. The outline for today is this, that suffering marks us for good. Suffering marks us for good. But now let's turn our attention to God's word. I'm going to read it for us now, starting in verse 13 again through verse 5 of chapter 3. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out. And displease God and oppose all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope, our joy, or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus is coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one being moved by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we are destined for this, when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. This is the very word of God. May he write his truths of it on our heart. I'm going to pause and pray that he would do just that. You're welcome to pray along with me if you'd like. Father, we thank you for your word, and that this is not the word of man, but the very words of the creator of all things. And we pray that you would help us to receive it just as it really is, your words, and that you would use it to work into our hearts all that we need for life and godliness. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. First, Suffering marks us. Now, if you remember, and we're here the the last couple of times I was reflecting on 1 Thessalonians, Paul was talking about the nature of his ministry towards the Thessalonians. And he spoke with a tenderness towards them in the way that he loved them and cared for them, the way that he thought of them in a sense as his children of faith, that, that he cared for them like a mother pouring out his body and soul for them, that he cared for them like a father exhorting them and encouraging them in the way that they should go. And Paul is continuing to think about the nature of his ministry to them as he's reflecting with them on what that means for them in their present moment and the way that they are experiencing suffering because of their own ministry. That's the kind of suffering that Paul is talking about here, and I think it's important to remember. He's not talking just about like a generic suffering that does exist in the world, but his focus is in on the suffering that exists because of our faithfulness to Jesus. And as he's reflecting on this, he wants them to understand that that this suffering comes out of their relationship with Jesus, which is why he says in verse 13, and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. There Paul is talking about the faith that they have, a faith in Jesus in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that they heard from Paul when he came to minister to them. And the way that they took that and they embraced it, not as Paul's words, but as the very words of God. And just as an aside, this is the way that God always works in people's lives. What brings us into a relationship with Jesus is us hearing the word of God proclaimed and us saying that, yes, those words are not the words of man, not some myth or great idea, but those are the very words of God spoken into my life. And in this passage, what Paul is doing is helping to remind them of where they started, embracing the gospel of Jesus so that he can then build out of that an understanding of what they're experiencing. And so then he goes on and say in 14, for you brothers became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. There Paul is talking about their experience. You see this some in the book of Acts, that that after Paul proclaimed the gospel, after they received it, then people began to get upset about their faith in Jesus. People began to turn towards them in in anger. They drove Paul out of Thessalonica. Paul had to leave. and, And even after Paul left, there was still animosity towards these new believers. And Paul says, yes, you have been suffering because of your faith in Jesus. But I want you to understand something that this suffering is a part of that same faith that you embraced when you heard the gospel. That this suffering isn't a sign that you have not gotten faith, but it's a sign that you have gotten faith. And the way that he wants them to understand it is because he wants them to see that what they are suffering, what they are experiencing, is a sign of their love, for Jesus. I met my wife Lauren when I was in seminary in Jackson, Mississippi, and uh, we started dating in October of um, 2002, and we were married the next October, so we had a quick uh, time of dating and engagement, and as we were kind of approaching the, the time to go off and to get married, one of my friends was hanging out with me, and he was still single, and he said, how did you know how did you know that that you wanted to marry Lauren? Which is a great question. And my answer was, well, I don't really know. (laughs) But I do know this. What I do know is we're not gonna have this perfect marriage. We're gonna have problems, because I'm a part of it. (laughs) But what I do know is I want to have my problems with Lauren. I want to have my problems with her. And that's what tells me that I want to get married to her. Because what moved me into embracing what I knew was going to be at times hard and challenging was a love that I experienced from her and a love that I had from her. And that's what Paul is wanting the Thessalonians to understand is going on in their suffering. That as they experience this suffering, what they are doing is they're experiencing a part of what it means to be in a relationship with Jesus. They're experiencing something that is not against their relationship, a sign that Jesus is not with them, that Jesus is not for them. No, but what they are experiencing is a part of what it means to be in relationship with him. And that's why Paul says what he's doing in this verse 14. He says, listen, I see that you're suffering, but what I want you to do is look out into the world and see the way that other Christians are suffering too. It says you are imitating those churches, those churches who had faith before you, who have gone before you in embracing Christ. Look at their life and what is their life like? They are suffering for their faith too. And you are imitating that. And he's wanting them to see this so that they understand that the path of faith is one of imitating Christ. And just as they are imitating the other churches, those churches are imitating Jesus. Because to embrace Jesus by faith is to be united to him, to bring his life into your life, which means your life is going to end up looking like his. This week I was talking to a student who's leading one of our small groups. And he's going through the, the section of Genesis that reflects on the life of Joseph. And as we were talking, he said, You know, the problem about Joseph that I see is he does everything so well, he's always pretty faithful to God despite all the terrible things in his life. And as I was reflecting on that with him, it kind of struck me about Joseph in a way that it hadn't before. And how Joseph, in a way, gives us a picture of Jesus. That the life of Joseph, in a sense, even though it was before Jesus, reflects Jesus' life. I mean, as an example, think about how he was the beloved son who was stripped of his glory. as his brothers sought to put him to death that he was the promised seed of Abraham who was sent to exile in Egypt, but who would ultimately bring about blessing for the whole world. In the life of Joseph, what we see is not a life of constant good things happening to him because of his faithfulness to God, but we see a life of suffering after suffering after suffering. And yes, when we think about Joseph, we often think about where he ended up as the second most powerful man in the most powerful country at the time. But the majority of Joseph's life and story is suffering. And what this shows us is that even before Jesus, Joseph's life shows us what a life of faith looks like, which is a life that looks a lot like Jesus. A life that even if it's lived in faithfulness to God, doesn't go from good thing to good thing, but goes from suffering to suffering. And what is important to remember about this is that the normal path of life, that is a life of faith, is going to look a lot like Joseph's life, is going to look a lot like Jesus' life that what you experience in your life of faith is suffering. And this is what often trips us up. What often trips us up is suffering comes into our life for the good things that we do. That suffering comes into our life, and and we think, God, why? Why are you allowing this to happen? I'm trying to do good things. I'm trying to serve you. I, I was trying to honor you, but it didn't work out well for me. It seemed like it worked out worse for me. And when those times come into your life, you begin to wonder, am I doing something wrong? I had a friend who professed faith in Christ and was trying to be honoring him in his business, having a business of integrity, but he ended up seeing the way that his competitors were cut corners, would do things that lacked integrity, and would always end up better for it. And as he was trying to build his business and his career and his family, and he saw the people that were cutting corners getting ahead, he ended up letting go of his faith. He said, God can't be real. If I'm trying to honor him and I'm suffering for it, he can't be real. And what Paul is doing to the Thessalonians is he's helping them to understand why they were experiencing suffering in the present moment so that they don't think that this suffering is a sign of being marked by God as someone he doesn't love, but as a sign that they are marked by God as someone that he does love. We see this even in the way that Paul talks about his own experience of suffering in chapter 3. Look down with me, starting in verse two of chapter three, Paul says, we sent Timothy, our brother and God's coworker in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one would be moved by these afflictions. For you know yourself that we are destined for this. For when we are with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know. Paul's saying there that I told you that I was going to suffer. I told you to, when you watch my life, that you're going to see suffering happen. And he says, I was destined for this. Now, when you talk about something that you're destined for, do you ever say, I'm destined for suffering? And when you hear people talk about the things that they're destined for, it's like, I'm destined for greatness. I'm destined for love. I'm destined to be a mom. We think of our destiny as something good that is in front of us, that, that excites us and that moves us. And Paul says, listen, here's what I told you I was destined for. I was destined for suffering. Now, why would Paul think that he was destined for suffering? Because Paul again knows that the path of faith is a path that means that your life is conformed more and more to Jesus' life. And what do we see in the life of Jesus? We see him faithfully loving, faithfully serving, faithfully healing. But again and again throughout that, we see the way that people turn against him, reject him, despise him, seek to put him to death. Jesus' life is marked by a humiliation before his exaltation. And Jesus wanted his followers to understand this, which is why when he gathers his disciples together before he goes to the cross, he says, listen, if you want to be my follower, what does it look like? It means for you to take up your cross and follow me. When Jesus gathers together his disciples in the upper room for that last sweet, intimate time of fellowship, what does he tell them? He tells them, in this world, you will have trouble." The servant is not greater than the master. Just as they persecuted me, they will persecute you. Jesus wanted his followers to understand that to follow him is to embrace suffering. To embrace his life is to have your life conformed to his life. And Paul is reminding the Thessalonians of this because it's a way that he's loving them. My daughter, Nora, has allergies. I have allergies, too. They're really kicking up now. But part of what happens to her and her allergies is that her eyes get really itchy. And so in order to help them, what you have to do is put eye drops in. But the problem with the eye drops is they really hurt. And she hated getting eye drops in, as you can understand. Now, what does a good father do in that moment? Do I say, oh, don't worry, it's not gonna hurt? I could. I could try to lie to her to get her to take them. But what would that do to our relationship? She wouldn't really receive my words as being truthful when she sees me lying to her about what to expect. And so I have to say, it's going to sting. It's going to hurt. I'm going to be with you in it, and you're going to feel better after. You see, that's what Paul is doing in this passage of the Thessalonians. As he knows that they're experiencing suffering, he's coming along to say, yes, this is what you should expect. Yes, this is something that is the normal part of life, because this is us imitating Jesus and the life that he lived. It's going to hurt, but it is for good. It's going to hurt, but it will get better. Paul is wanting them to understand that that their suffering is not a sign that they have done something wrong. It's not a sign that God is not there. It's a sign that they are doing something good and that God is with them. And this is what we have to remember in our own Christian life in order for us to step into suffering. That suffering is the normal path of faith. That suffering is the normal way that we love Jesus. Because in suffering, our hearts are becoming more like His. You know, it's interesting the way that Paul demonstrates this, even in this passage, in the way that he speaks about his relationship with the Thessalonians. Look into the middle of this passage in verse 17. And hear Paul's heart. He says, But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face, because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or our joy or our crown or our boasting before the Lord Jesus is his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and our joy. What do you hear about Paul in that passage? You hear how much he loved the Thessalonians. You hear the depth of his love for them and the way that that he sees them as his glory, that he sees them as his joy, that he has this deep desire in his heart to be with them in person, but he wants them to understand that, that he's never not kept his heart close to them. You see, Paul has this deep love for them. And what does Paul do because of the depth of his love? He suffers on their behalf. This is what we see in verse one. He says, therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And so we sent Timothy, our brother and God's coworker in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in your faith. Paul embraced suffering and said that I would rather be left here by myself in this hard season of life and send off my only friend, my only companion, so that he could take care of you because I love you so much. I would rather see you growing in your faith, see you be encouraged, make sure that you are not being tempted by Satan. And so I'm willing to set aside my friend, my comfort, my need to see you flourish and grow in your faith. That's the kind of suffering that Paul has in mind here. The way that that out of an abundance of love that is like the love of Jesus, we embrace loving others in a way that costs, in a way that hurts, in a way that opens up our hearts and our lives to suffering. I see this at times in my own ministry the way that I can pray for a student, the way that I can develop a deep love for a student, but I never know how it's going to turn out in their life. Are they going to respond to the gospel? Are they going to come close to, to me and to the Lord through my ministry? I put my heart into them, and sometimes it hurts when I see them walk away. Sometimes it hurts when I see them abandon the faith. Love opens us up to suffering. And to engage in ministry, to engage in loving those around us, to engage with the world is to embrace a suffering. But a suffering that reflects the heart of our Savior. You know, this is in a sense what we see in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah. In Isaiah, it speaks about the nature of the Messiah, and the way that the Messiah suffers. And it says this, starting in verse 11 of verse 53, Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, but he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong." Because he has poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. What you hear in that interplay in Isaiah as it speaks of the nature of the Messiah is kind of two things coming out. One is, is the suffering that the Messiah will embrace and the way that he'll take onto himself the grief, take onto himself the guilt, take onto himself the hardship of dying on behalf of his people in their sins. But what drives that embrace of suffering is a knowledge, a confident hope that through these things, through his love, he will redeem, that through these things that he will bring into their life good and glory. Jesus embraced the suffering of the cross because he had the confident knowledge that God would use his suffering for the redemption of his people. And so he willingly went to the cross for the joy that was set before him, the joy of seeing God glorified and his people restored. And so he knew his suffering was not useless because his suffering was grounded in the hope of God's goodness. And this is how Paul was able to embrace suffering too. That he knew that by him serving the Thessalonians and embracing the cost of the suffering, that it would bring about their good and their glory. As he says in verse 19, for what is our hope or our joy or our crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus as at his coming? Is it not you? Paul was confident that his suffering on their behalf would be for their good, would be for their glory. And he can see the way that one day he could stand and see them coming close to Jesus as Jesus comes close to them and feel a sense of joy that they were brought into faith, into a loving relationship with their Savior. Paul deeply loved these Thessalonians. And because of that, he moves towards them with a heart of love. And this is the path of faith. To be conformed to the image of Christ, to be conformed into his life, is to know that suffering will come, but that suffering will be out of love and that suffering will ultimately be for good. Because that is the path of Jesus, right? He came into this world and he died for our redemption and was raised up to glory in exaltation. And that exaltation, him going up to heaven, is what gives us hope, what gives Paul hope, that the path of embracing suffering will always turn out to be for good. Because we follow the Savior who was crucified and glorified. And so we know that that same path is our path. But I think it's helpful to see how Paul knows that that we are able to walk down that path. That it's something that we cannot do alone. That's why he sends Timothy to them. Because as he says, I'm worried that the tempter is going to come into your life and to tempt you that our labor would be in vain. You know, we cannot live a faithful Christian life alone. We cannot embrace suffering alone. We need people around us that know the ins and outs of our life, that knows the hurts and the pains of our life, so that they can speak back into those things the hope that we need to hear, so that they can speak back into those things the faith that we profess, that Christ has died, but Christ is risen. And so we too will experience that same pattern in our own life. And a part of what we do when we gather on Sunday mornings and a part of what we do when we gather for Saturday's men's breakfasts or Wednesday night time of fellowship is we're putting into our life the people that we need to enable us to endure suffering with hope. And we can't wait until we're in that suffering to build that kind of depth of love. Paul was wise enough to care for the Thessalonians by sending them someone to be intentionally caring for them. And wisdom for us says we need the same. Are we putting people into our life that can care for us and carry us through the times of suffering that we need? But we also need, in order to embrace the suffering that comes from loving and caring for others, laying down our life for others, We need to remember Christ and the way that his love is our hope. That his love is what enables us to suffer with a sense of joy. You know, the Old Testament, the way that, that people would worship other gods is they would tattoo on their hands the name of their God so that they would keep, in a sense, the name of their God before them. But something that is beautiful is in the book of Isaiah. God says this through the prophet Isaiah. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she would have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, but I shall not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palm of my hands. Think about that. God has a tattoo. And you are that tattoo. Think about it this way. Jesus, even in his glorified state, in the glorious body that he received, what does he still have? He still has scars. He still has the marks of his suffering. Why? Wouldn't you want to remove that? Would you really want to be forever and all eternity marked by your suffering? Why does he still have that? those are a constant reminder to him of the depth of his love for you and the way that he willingly was forever indelibly marked through his suffering out of the sense that you are his joy you are his glory you are his crown now, as we hold that into our hearts don't we want to our life to look like that? Don't we want our love to look like that? But don't we also know that everything that comes into our life flows from those kinds of hands? That every suffering that must come into our life comes from the hands of a Savior who's marked forever with a love for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus and his love for us. And we pray that you would help us in our remembrance of his love to be faithful in following him. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen.